productivity is a result of inspiration that leads to motivation and then action. That's complete bullshit. Welcome to ROSC episode four. Today we're gonna to talk about something I learned from Mark Manson called the do something principle. Now, one of the themes you're gonna notice within this community is this idea of, and I hate, I have to try and find a way to say this in a better way because it's always down to like be that change that you wanna see in the world. And I hate these sound bites, these tropes, because one of the things of sound bites is that they lose their meaning because they're just said over and over and over again. The benefit of that tends to be that when you hear something over and over again, eventually you hear it at just the right time or the right place and it clicks. That being said, this community is going to be focusing a lot about you as an individual contributing to the pool of change and optimism and growth and constructive behavior, which ultimately will it'll rub off on people around you. And on the outset, that seems a bit burdensome, right? It puts a lot of the pressure on yourself. And it's also equally, or if not, it's additively frustrating when you're already in a situation where you wish you were in a better environment, where you can't wait to leave this job or every day you feel like quitting or whatever it might be. And that undoubtedly spills into how you take care of the people around you, the patients around you. And one thing leads to another and things just add up and it gets frustrating. And then you snap and then subconsciously or even consciously you feel bad about that behavior and then you're upset with yourself and it's just a vicious cycle. Given all of that and given the fact that you're giving so much of yourself to your patients and then to the people you're working with, if you're working with a physician, or if you're working with a nurse, if you're working with a PA or students or whatever it might be, if you're talking to consultants or talking to the floor, whatever it might be, you're giving so much of yourself and you're holding yourself back and you're even having your ego bruised. And then you have to deal with the higher ups and administration and all this different stuff that's just like taking away from your feeling of control and of agency. And after all of that, you expect me to believe that I'm the one responsible to make things different. This is a tough pill to swallow. And this definitely is not going to be the only thing that we, the only time that we talk about the idea of extreme ownership of almost like making everything your fault, which I'll touch on a little bit so that it doesn't get left hanging too long, but we're going to get into that much more deeply later on. Part of that extreme ownership comes the do something principle. Now, Mark Manson talks about this idea that people typically look at productivity as linear. As I said at the start of this, inspiration would lead to motivation, which leads to action, and then you have productivity. And then the hope from that is that you get motivated enough to continue the next time. You prove it to yourself. The problem is you start out with the inspiration and the motivation, right? So you sort of sit there and perseverate and kind of think, and how am I going to make this happen? How this and how that? Meanwhile, there are external actions occurring that are pulling you down. Even if those external actions don't exist, you're still sitting there trying to think about an abstract idea that's going to get you going. The problem is all of the other voices that bring you down are also fighting that just as much. And as much as your mind cannot always tell the difference between reality and what you're imagining, for example, when you wake up in a cold sweat after a dream, despite that, the brain feeds back positively to an action. To say it in another way, 
while your brain cannot tell the difference between you having experienced something real and you having remembered the experience, when you're trying to envision something that hasn't happened yet and something that you may not necessarily have the most faith in it happening, your brain can definitely tell the difference there. And so when you put the action in, you get that dopamine hit when you've completed a task. That's why we love checklists. And so with regards to this linear pathway to productivity, it's actually a loop. It's inspiration, motivation, action. Inspiration, motivation, action. The thing about a loop is that you can enter at any point and you can get into a virtuous cycle. So you might get inspired to do something and that might trigger you and you might go. We've all experienced that at some point. Or you might gain momentum from just feeling motivated one particular day or whatever it might be. The thing is though, the one thing that we don't experience often is taking action despite not having the inspiration or the motivation. And the reason why that's difficult is fairly intuitive. I mean, it doesn't really require explanation. However, understanding the opposite, understanding that if you enter the loop on action, when you don't feel inspired and don't feel motivated to do it, you still end up on that same loop. The beauty is you've sort of created a checklist for yourself, for your mind. You take an action in a direction you'd like the world to go. You'd like your work environment to go. You'd like yourself to be. You take that action, even if the outcome isn't exactly what you expected, if you walk into that loop focusing on making the action happen, it builds a sense of self-credibility. And as I say that, maybe we should talk about that topic at some point too. But the idea of building self-credibility is what gives you belief in yourself. It gives you faith in yourself. You complete a task that you said you would complete, and that gives you the self-trust to be able to do it again or to do something else. And when you take that action, it allows all of the clutter in your mind and all of the analysis paralysis, if you will, to sort of fall in line. Let me give you an example. One of the things that I found actually helped me in resuscitation is putting my hand on the patient's ankle. Now, before I do that, I try to square breathe. And square breathing, if you haven't heard before, is breathe in for three seconds, hold on top for three seconds, out for three seconds, hold at the bottom for three seconds. Particularly doing this with your diaphragm, what that does is trigger the parasympathetic system and it actually forces you out of your sympathetic overdrive. What it actually also does is break the loop that you're creating in your mind of being paralyzed from all the analysis, from being anxious, from being, what do I do next or whatever it might be. But after that, the first thing I do is put my hand on the patient's ankle. Now, what that does in a resuscitation or in a cardiac arrest or in a trauma or whatever it might be, is it gives me a number of pieces of information. Number one, it tells me what their skin feels like. If it's clammy, if it's sweaty, whatever it might be. Uh, it also puts me in a position where I can check the pulse to see if I feel a peripheral pulse. Secondary to that, it also makes me feel what the patient's temperature feels like. But what it does to me next is it takes all of the thoughts that I could be having about that patient and it slows things down because I've removed that loop and I have focused my mind on the first step. I'll give you another example. For those of you out there who are experienced or have ever intubated before, one of the things I teach people when it comes to intubating that helped me a ton, and shout out to Rich Levitan on this one, Rich Levitan talks about the idea of things being called epiglottoscopy, not laryngoscopy. 
What that is, is focusing on seeing the epiglottis, because once you see the epiglottis, at the bottom of the epiglottis is your airway, so you know there's an airway there. But more importantly, one of the things I've adopted from his practice is incrementalizing the entire process of laryngoscopy and intubation. So my first step is actually step one, position the patient correctly. Step two, scissor the mouth open. That's an actual step. Step three, place the blade of my laryngoscope on the tongue, sliding it towards the epiglottis, then lifting. That Making each of these a step, what it actually does is it forces out the noise and focuses you on a linear pathway. Now, when you're in a team and you're not the team leader, when you are assigned a role, this is gold for two reasons. One, because you are not meant to have the 30,000 foot view of the room. You are meant to take care of your task. So if you're, for example, to stick with this, taking care of the airway in a cardiac arrest or in a resuscitation, and the team leader assigns you to take care of the airway, the team leader, when they say, you've got the airway, should no longer be thinking about what's needed for the airway. That's you. Now you don't have to know anything else about what's going on in the room. In fact, if you did a good enough job, you will have no clue what's happening in the rest of the room when you're focused on the airway. That applies to when you're doing the IV. That applies if you're the person putting the patient on the monitor, on the defibrillator, if you're the person handling medications, whatever it might be. When you are not the team leader, you are tunnel visioned. And when you're tunnel visioned, that gives you the ability to be linear in your process. How does this relate to the do something principle? Because when you take out the thinking and the analyzing and the what if and how do I and blah, 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 you take one step forward. You take the first step. Okay, after the first step, what's the next step I got to do? And so on and so forth. And the next thing you know, number one, you're no longer focusing on the noise around you, which your heart rate will come down, your breathing will slow down, your focus will become better. And number two, you'll just be moving in a particular direction. And in a situation that's critical, you won't have a checklist in your mind. You won't be checking off boxes, but there is still, believe it or not, the dopamine little, little drips going on with the dopamine. Even though it's not something exciting or rewarding, it's just a matter of accomplishment, slight accomplishments. And that sort of does fall into the realm of optimism and positivity, which again is nauseating. But optimism and positivity doesn't have to be all like happy-go-lucky. It just has to be simply looking at what has been accomplished and what to do next and just keep moving forward. I'm making a big deal about being the person who places an IV line or something like that, but what this also ends up doing on a longer timeline, the habit that it ends up developing is looking at every situation not as what am I going to do or how can I, like, what do I do first and what, like, being flustered with all this stuff rather than do that. The question can then become, what action can I take to get this started? What's the first thing I need to do? Let me just get started with that and then move forward. On a longer timeline, when dealing with interpersonal stuff, as well as dealing with things that help you improve your skills, whether it's simulation or just studying, having a first step will change everything for you. One, because it will help you incrementalize whatever it is that you're doing and remove the paralysis of analysis. And two... It will give you a sense of accomplishment and therefore that little dopamine spike towards progress, towards what you want to accomplish. And that applies not only to 
physical procedural tactics, it also applies to behavioral change, to interpersonal building. It applies to your leadership skills that you want to apply. It applies to building a relationship with a team member or with someone who, if the relationship goes in the wrong way, it makes things more difficult or you feel it might be going in the wrong direction. It applies to all of these things because each thing builds. The beautiful thing about an exchange, about a dialogue, about a team, is that as you build towards, they will react potentially positively, and that will exponentially shoot you towards your particular goal. On a more philosophical front, what these things do, whether it's a procedural action or it's a behavioral change, is it lays out the tone, right? You set the tone when you intubate in a linear fashion. You set the tone when you take your task, tunnel vision into it when you have the ability to, when you're not responsible for the 30,000 foot view, that sets the tone for where you're gonna go. When I put my hand on a patient's feet, it sets the tone for where I'm gonna go, both in terms of linearizing my thought and in terms of giving me information to give me more questions to ask. This patient's cold skin is mottled. What are the things I'm gonna be thinking about? This patient's feet are warm, I can feel a strong pulse, it's very sweaty. What direction am I going? What am I not gonna worry about? Things like that. And that comes with time and experience, but the only way to get experience is to stay in the game long enough. And the way you stay in the game long enough is to set the tone for yourself personally, individually, as well as with other people. The way to a better dialogue, the way to connecting with anybody, the way to improving the way you handle a clinical resuscitation or any type of critical situation is setting the tone, laying out the tone. Now, what this ends up doing is two things. One, it goes back to building self-credibility. You have something tangible, something concrete to rely on saying, I put in this action and it made this effect. So if I keep going, it'll make this difference. Even if the difference that it made wasn't necessarily what you wanted, even if it wasn't necessarily the most positive outcome, what it allows you to do when you take the action is it allows you to tweak. It allows you to pivot. If you sit there perseverating on something and nothing ever happens, you can't make any changes. You actually just get discouraged. But when you actually take an action, you can actually look at that action and say, okay, how can I modify it to get a better result? The other thing that ends up happening, point number two, is when you're in a team, the people who are around you will either consciously or unconsciously learn from that. They will be influenced from that. That'll set how they react with you, and I can guarantee you it will it will affect the way they interact with others. I've felt that in myself, and I've watched it happen with others. I've watched it happen when I was in a leadership position, that the way I talk to someone, the way I talk to a patient, whatever it might be, it influences the way other people who are part of my team, part of my tribe, look at that person. Whether that be because of loyalty, or it be because of resentment, or it be because of whatever it is. The way you talk, the way you react, the way you take action will affect the way those around you who are observing will also act. And if they feel that they can't act the way you acted when it's positive, they know they have somewhere to turn. And all of this leads back to setting the tone, taking the action, and then potentially getting the motivation and the inspiration after that. And can you imagine what it would be like to be in a situation where you didn't have the motivation to go for something, you took the action, 
you made some change because at that point, if you took the action without the motivation or inspiration, any incremental build is going to be positive because you didn't even expect it to happen. You weren't even going to do anything. That changes the game because it begins to chip away at the illusion that you need inspiration or motivation to get something done. So when you don't feel motivated to go to work, when you don't feel motivated at work, take the action. That's all it takes because there are absolutely going to be days, whether in your personal life or professional life, that you're not interested in performing the daily practice. That's when you need to do it. More on that when we get to empathy. But I think that's it for this episode. Leave a comment on the blog post. Send in your questions to podcast at rosk.life. I will be checking it. I will be looking at questions. Send in comments. Send in feedback. Send in anything you think might be beneficial, even if it's just how much it helped you. But the biggest thing you can do if something like this helped you is share it with someone else. Definitely rate us on your respective podcast medium. That's definitely going to help not only us, but whoever else out there needs the help that you can't necessarily reach. But other than that, we'll see you next time.